Hey, as UFC legendary ringside announcer Bruce Buffer would say, it's time for a UFC 274 preview on the Big D podcast. Before I bring in today's special guest, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. We can see all my content, uploaded videos of all different sports. Got another video hopefully coming up tomorrow and i'll be a guest on a podcast so i'll be the one answering questions instead of asking the questions also check out the uh, big d podcast on spotify and apple so with usc 274 taking place this saturday night in glendale i wanted to find a usc mma Expert and I got one. So joining us from uh, Michigan today is uh, Billy Ward. Billy uh, writes for Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. Uh, Billy, did I forget anything? Well, real quick, I was also, before doing any of this, I was a professional MMA fighter myself, which is how I got into the analytics side of it. So get a little bit of it coming from both angles. <laughs> what, what was your weight class? I fought primarily 170. I went a little bit of down and up at different points, but as a pro, almost all 170. Well, what would have been your style as a fighter? Uh, mostly submissions. I thought when I started out, I was going to be some striker and knock everyone out. And then I found out real quick that I just didn't have those gifts. And all my professional wins were by submission as well as most of my amateur wins. Hey, that would work pretty well this Saturday night because we've got it. Because in the main event of the evening, we've got. We've arguably got the UFC's best submission artist in, in the uh, lightweight uh, championship fight between uh, Mr. Oliveira against uh, Justin Gate. The uh, this is a fight I've been wanting to see because everyone has wondered who's going to replace Khabib at 155 pounds. Well, this Saturday night we're going to find out who's the uh, top lightweight in the world. Yeah, definitely. I'm very excited for this one. I think it's an interesting stylistic fight because Gaethy definitely has the wrestling and he probably has the power. So how Oliver is going to approach that, I don't know if he's going to be able to get Gaethy to the ground and I don't know if he wants to stand with him either. But, you know, Oliver is probably the more technical striker. And as you pointed out, definitely the better submission artist. So we've got a cool, cool clash of styles for this one. Yeah, I mean, if you look at how both guys are entering this fight, I mean, I can't think of a better fight stylistically because you've got a submission on that's a great wrestler and an under and a really good striker. So when I think of the fighters first, I think we should go talk with the champ because I mean, how good is Charles Oliveira? This guy, this guy's just coming in red hot, won the, Belt a year ago when he knocked out uh, Michael Chandler, and then he choked out, and I, that's not—I'm not kidding—he choked out Justin Poirier. Yeah, you know he's—he's he's definitely a guy who can do it all, which is refreshing to see versus some of these one-trick ponies. And I think the big question is just when he's fighting guys like Gaethje and some of the other top wrestlers, is he going to be able to get them down and turn it into a submission contest? Because all the submission skills in the world don't matter if you can't take your opponent down. So that's what I'll be watching for. That's my big like, what's going to swing the fight moment? Yeah, because if it's a if it's a standing fight, I don't remember many submissions when you're on the when you're on your feet. I think we saw one. Didn't we see one recently with that standing arm triangle from uh, it was a female fight. I can't remember who it was. It was Lamos and Drop, the 
uh, main event a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, I think one of what yeah, I think was the main event uh, not at the last UFC pay per view, but one of the fight nights. Yeah, Le- uh, Lemos got a standing arm triangle, which I I was watching the whole time saying that's not going to work, that's not going to work, and then she tapped. So, but you know that's obviously few and far between, and for the most part, you got to get it to the ground if you want it to be a submission battle. Well, then, uh, how about Justin Gaethje? Because, I mean, some people wonder why is he getting another shot at the, ti- at the title because he lost to, guess who, Khabib. But everybody's lost against Khabib. But find me a more interesting guy than Gaethje because this guy, I mean, because guess what? He beat Michael Chandler. So it seems it seems like we're all whipping on Michael Chandler, at least last year. And then um, tell me what Justin Gaethje can do in this fight. Yeah, well, and not only did he beat Chandler, he beat Ferguson, too. So two of the other guys that are fighting on the uh, undercard of this one, he's got knockout wins over both of them. But uh, the way I see the cleanest path for Gaethje to winning this one is just using his power. You know, Chandler was able to survive the whole time. But if you look through his record, it was four or five straight knockouts before that. And Oliveira is probably going to win minutes against him. You know, the longer it's standing, Oliveira is going to touch him more times. But when Gacy hits you, man, it's you stay hit to quote Rampage Jackson. So he's going to need to land that big shot. He's going to need to find it in there somewhere and just use his cardio and use his volume and aggression to uh, keep pushing the pace until he can find that shot he needs. Could If you gate the strategy, would this be a fight you want standing? Because obviously, yeah, Gaethje is a great wrestler, but you don't want to have, you don't want to make this a submission battle. You want to make this a fighting, um, boxing, cardio battle. Yeah, you know, I think I would go in there with the game plan of keeping it standing, but you got to be flexible. If, if you're getting touched up and you're not really able to land on him or his reach and height are becoming too much of a problem to overcome, then you might just have to roll the dice and try to take him down and hope you can survive down there. Because if you're on top, you're winning the round for the most part. So if he can win some minutes that way, win some rounds that way, you might have to try it. But I don't think that should be plan A for Justin. Yeah, because Gaethje's not really a takedown guy. He's more he's more a fighter. Oliveira, if it's a takedown, if it's a ground if it's a ground fight, it's got all kinds of submissions and a four four inch reach advantage. So even though both guys will be at one fifty five, that four inch reach advantage could be big in limiting what Gaethje can do at, on his feet. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know Gaethje was a wrestler. I believe he was a collegiate wrestler. But uh, I've got my spreadsheet up right now. He attempts one takedown every 20 rounds in his UFC career. So he really doesn't use it. He uses it to keep himself standing so he can swing big punches, not worried about getting taken down. But it's probably there in his back pocket if he needs it. And it would be interesting to see if he goes that route on Saturday. Yeah, it'd be weird if the takedown orders is defending and not the other way around. It's defending on his back and not attacking on his back yeah you know it's interesting if there's a knock on Oliver, it probably is the takedowns he doesn't have you know great wrestling ability or great throws or some of these things that the other top grapplers do so that you know that makes it kind of a uh game of chicken here to see if there's going to be any grappling or not because Oliver wants there to be but if he initiates it's probably not going to go well for him and gaethy might want to keep it standing but if he starts getting hit he might have to then take it to the ground 
it's just it's just a contrast of fighters when you've got two fighters everybody wants to see it's it just sets up for classic and uh Oliveira is a uh, let me see about minus 165 favorite against the plus 140 i mean Chances are, if you ask me, I don't think this fight's going 25 minutes. I think I think if Oliveira has got his way, it's probably a submission. But if Gaethje's winning, it will be ugly. And I don't mean I don't mean ugly for his fans, but it might be ugly for the champ. Yeah, and this is you know the betting line on that feels about right. I don't think I'm willing to take a side on that either way. But I will say. Betting Gacy inside the distance once those props come out, I don't really see him winning over 25 minutes. If you told me it's going to be a decision, my money would be on Oliveira. So you can probably get – it'll probably be north of plus 200 odds on Gacy to win inside the distance once that comes out. So that's where I'm looking if I want to get some action on this one. Or alternatively, Oliveira by decision because I think he's got the better minute winning upside. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a fight we want to see because – I I can't wait to see what's happened because uh, I think Oliveira's won 15 straight 15 straight fights. Sounds right. Something ridiculous. 15 straight fights. He's going in. <laughs> like that this guy doesn't lose. And then Gaethje's one of the most exciting MMA fighters in the world. So I can't wait to see this fight. I think it's one of the fights of 2022. And uh, something tells me if this fight lives up to the billing, we may very well see this fight once or twice more. And not to swing everything to my favorite subject, but a very good fight for DFS too, because these guys both have a ton of activity. They've both got finishing upside. So I'm pretty sure, you know, if you're playing tournaments on DFS, you're going to have to have the winner of this one. And for cash games, this is definitely one where I'm just plugging both guys in. I'm going to take that. I'm not taking the risk on picking a winner. Because we saw it last week in the main event where both Font and Vera put up huge scores. I think we could see another one like that on DraftKings. Absolutely. With two championship fights, we know where four of the catch game fighters will be. It's just, especially when they're both reasonably, when they're both similarly priced, because Oliveira's 85, but Gaethje's 77. So it's not like one guy is 90. It's 9,600, and the other guy's seven grand. Both guys are reasonably priced where you can still build a decent roster around them. Yeah, and that's going to be the interesting decision point. So it's, you know, I think me and you might be the only people that consistently play MMA cash games on DraftKings. But if we're not, you know, a lot of people have figured out that when there's only one five-round fight, you just play both fighters, forget about it. Like, it just makes a lot of sense for a ton of reasons we don't need to get into. But when there's multiple five-round fights, I'm not sure that the optimal is going to be play all four. I'm kind of leaning towards right now trying to get three of the four in just because I think Doug Rose is enough of a favorite over Carla Esparza that I'm willing to take the chance and, you know, bet against an upset there. And that way I leave myself upside to get a few more wins in the lineup. Because if you play those four, you can only get four winners in your lineup at that point. You've guaranteed yourself two losers. So what are, what are you thinking with that build? Are you locked into all four? I don't think that's wrong, but. I'm, I'm leaning to potentially playing full, but I mean, uh, depending on how some of these dogs or favorites are looking, I may change it to three because Rose seems like a, 
big a favorite, but uh, we'll see what happens. It is only Tuesday, and uh, things can change between now and uh, Saturday night. I mean, one five. If I see if I see somebody looking woefully out of shape on Friday, then maybe I'll go the other way. But we'll see. Yeah, and that's a good point. I was uh, I was initially not that big on betting Cheeto Vera last weekend, but then I saw how Font looked at weigh-ins, and I tweeted out, "I was like, if you got time, get some get some money down on Vera because that's it was not a good look for Font." So anyone, you know, if you're doing DFS too, watch those weigh-ins, try to get the video that you can see who misses weight. Understand that not all weight cut misses are made equal. You know, like some guys just kind of don't try, and they say fine i'll just be a little bit bigger but font looked dead he looked like he was really pushing to make weight so we could see that with any of the fighters on this one you know especially the champs with not getting that one pound allowance that could be a big big turning point so uh there's not just one championship fight this weekend there there are two championship fights and this is one that we saw way and i mean way in the past because uh do you remember when uh Rose Ammon Jones and Paul Espasa fought each other on the Ultimate Fighter, I think back in 2014. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, which is crazy that they're doing it again and that it's for a title again. A lot of time you see these rematches way down the line and both fighters have fallen off a little bit. But, you know, these are two women still at the top of their game or in Rose's case now at the top of her game because I don't think she was quite the fighter in 2014. She is now. So it's interesting to see. I'm this one's real interesting to me because there's some historical trends that are working in opposite directions here. Usually in rematches, the younger fighter has the advantage. There's just more room for them to grow, but also usually the fighter that wins the first bout also wins. So those two are working opposite each other. So I'm not, not too confident in this, but I think the line on Thug Rose of minus 200 is about right. Yeah. I think uh, Rose is actually minus 220. So she's a little bit of a, Bigger favorite than uh, Oliveira, but to me, I think we see. I think this fight is two fighters going in different directions because I feel like Rose is ascending, and while I feel like Cole is speaking, and even though rematches can change, can change, I feel like Rose is more matured and more as in a better fighter than she was eight years ago, and I'm not sure Cole is quite where she was. Yeah, you know, she's she's been really good as of late, but I think I'm with you. You know, Carla is 34 years old, so she was 26 when they last met. You know, she was a lot closer to her prime than Nama Yunus was. So to see her at 34 now, that's not old by any stretch, but is it a time in her life when we're expecting fighters to still be improving? Not really. Whereas Rose, is, she's still not 30, which is crazy to me because it feels like we've been watching her for the past 15 years. But, yeah, still only 29, definitely on the way up. His look tremendous now in three straight fights over Andrade and then the two against Jang. So I think you're right on that. So when you think of, I mean, when you think of Rose, I mean, she's she's going into this fight, even though it's at 115, I feel like Rose is the bigger fighter because she's four inches tall with a couple with a couple inch reach advantage, I mean five five seems like that's big for the for the strawweight division. It is, but that's when you know we mentioned watching the weigh-ins. That's when you start to worry about fighters that are that tall for the division, especially as they get older. Are they still going to be able to make weight? Is that going to be a problem? I don't think we're quite there yet with Nami Yunus, but I could see her either needing to move up or just really struggling to make weight. You know, like 
most people know once you get into your late 20s, early 30s, you start to get a little bit heavier than you were in your early 20s, even if you are an active fighter. So that is a slight concern with me, just because she does seem almost too big for the division. But as long as it looks like she's healthy on the scales and moving well, then yeah, it's definitely an advantage. And uh, I feel like with this fight, Rose is going to try and keep this on their feet because Rose is the better puncher, better boxer. And I feel like she doesn't, she doesn't want to replay of eight years ago where she spent the whole fight on her back because we know what Paula's ground game can do. Well, and she doesn't want a repeat of the Andrade fight where she got knocked out with a slam either, you know? So she definitely doesn't want it to be a wrestling match. Yeah, so if you rose, simple game plan, feet, feet, feet. And, And that's where that height and reach advantage really does help. Like, you know, I've struggled in my career trying to take down taller fighters. That was always a problem for me just because they can hit you from way farther away than you can shoot for takedowns from. So I think Rose will not have too much of a problem doing that. And I think once it's on the ground, as long as she doesn't get knocked out on her way, she's improved a lot there. Like she's looked a lot better in the last few fights once it does get to grappling. So I don't think she's necessarily at a disadvantage if it gets to the ground, but she would surely rather not find out. And if you call, uh, I mean, do you look back at what happened eight years ago and think, I already won the first fight. Sure, we've changed. I mean, we've gotten older. We've got, we've become more mature as fighters. But you're thinking, can I get this fight on the ground and try and get Rose in a pickle? Because, you know, I took her down in 2014. Rose has been knocked out by Andre. Uh, can I, can I? Can I get that negative feeling that, oh, no, here we go again, fight? Yeah, I mean, that definitely has to be our game plan, but I don't think when the rematch is this long time of a coming and, you know, Rose was 21, like she was a baby when they had that first fight. She was new to the sport. She'd only been training two or three years. That was practically a different lifetime. So I don't think if you're Carla, you look too heavily as to that as to how this one's going to go. You certainly want it to go that way, but you better bring some new tricks in terms of takedowns and setups and stuff like that because Nami Yunus is not the same fighter she was eight years ago, and you're not going to be able to work those same techniques as easily as you could then. So, uh, I mean, to me, if I'm going to bet this fight, I would probably bet more. I mean, not. I'd probably bet more... Rose winning, winning by knockout. But if I'm going to bet Cola, I think she's pop. I think she's got a chance if this goes long. But I feel like I feel like Rose winning by knockout and getting a little revenge would be the interesting way. I mean, she feels like the better fighter. She feels. I mean, even of twenty nines. She, Rose feels like a more mature and different 29 than she was the first time these women fought. Yeah, and I, I think you're about right with that. I Probably, you know, we're going to have to wait until the props come out a little bit later in the week to see what those lines are and each of them by knockout and stuff like that. I actually, one of the bets I probably will be targeting, depending on the line, is for this fight to go to a decision. Just because Carla is very durable. We haven't really seen her get stopped much. And Rose has solid power, but she has solid power relative to other 115-pound women. So it's not, you know, she's not some huge heavy hitter that can knock you out with one shot. So that's one that I'm looking at. I probably need it to be about even money or better to go to a decision before I'd look there. But yeah, you know, my biggest interest is for DFS and how we're going to play it there. So, uh, 
I mean, I'm guessing Rose for a catch game center. I mean, the question for me is not whether you use Rose for catch games, but to use both fighters for catch. Because if you think five-round fight, if this goes to a decision, I mean, I'm not sure stylistically this is Olivero Gapey where you need both fighters, but is this potentially one that you fade Cola because she's not really the knockout artist, not really the sexiest fighter? Do you maybe fade her in catch and maybe play her in GPPs because she could maybe get a win, maybe get a 90, 100-point win, decision win with more volume than anything? Well, and, you know, she's got a lot of takedown upside. She's only 7,300, so if she wins the fight, you pretty much have to have her for GPPs. And, you know, similarly for cash games, if, if the popular strategy is to play all four title fighters and you fade the one that wins, you're going to be in a bad spot. So it's definitely the safer plan is just to play all four of them and, you know, try to find two other wins in your lineup, hope four wins get you there. But I'm not sure. You know, if you're really confident that Rose is going to win and you think Carla's doesn't have much of a chance – I'm kind of okay with fading that one too. I initially thought this week was going to be the next round of the DraftKings uh, fantasy MMA championship, which I've qualified for. And the first round of it is basically a cash game It's 30 get through and uh, out of 70 in the field. And I was really nervous about how I was going to handle that because that, that was tricky, but they've pushed that back a little bit. So it's not as consequential for me. It's just another regular week here. Uh, so when, do you know when that, do you know when the first round, the fantasy, the MMA fantasy championships will be? I don't. I, so the way I timed it out before they were having about three or four people qualify per week. And then they slowed that down all of a sudden about a month ago to stretch it out. So I think there's six or seven spots left and I don't know if they're going to try to fill it this weekend or maybe next week, but then I would imagine that the next round of the championship will probably be the next pay-per-view would be my guess is they'll do round one in June. And the, the top 10 qualifiers, if you make it through the next two rounds, get to on DraftKings dime, get flown out and get, you know, lower bowl seats to a UFC pay-per-view to watch the final 10. So that's my real goal here is make it to that last 10, get to go to a UFC event, not have to pay for any of it. That's what I'm really hoping for. But we'll see. I don't know which one that'll be yet. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Be honest, I'd, I would have loved to see some of the UFC events in Florida because seems like Florida's become a hotbed of MMA events, not just for what happened last year, but there have been some UFC pay-per-view events in Jacksonville. Hope, I think there was one event uh, over on the other coast, too. So it'd be, be fun to see a UFC event. My brother actually saw uh, Rashad Evans knock out Chuck Liddell in Atlanta. Was that in? I remember the fight. I didn't know where it was. That was a long time ago. Atlanta. And and that was it. That was one punch, and the Ice Man hit the canvas and was done. He was ice cold. I I remember where I was. I was watching it at Hooters with my friends. I don't think any of us were 21 yet. And one of my buddies just jumped up and started screaming, "Chuck Liddell is dead! Chuck Liddell is dead!" Because we we thought he might not ever wake up from that one. It was brutal. And that's when Rashad Evans may have been the best pound-for-pound puncher in the world. He knocked out other guys. I mean, he knocked out Chuck Liddell, and and that still gets me to this day. Well, and what's interesting, you know, to 
bring it back to this week's card. Rashad was kind of the prototype of that guy with really, really good wrestling who just used it to allow himself to throw bombs. Because when you're not worried about getting taken down, you can load up on all your punches, you can step in, you can put weight in in a way that guys who don't want to get taken down have to be a little more cautious of. So the way that we're seeing guys like Gage and even Chandler too, to a similar degree, these are guys who have really strong wrestling and just use it totally defensively so they can throw bombs while they have someone else on the back foot worried about getting taken down. And that was all Rashad. Like he really kind of innovated that and Liddell to a degree too, but mostly Rashad, I'd say with the high level wrestling pedigree. So outside the two championship fights, uh, what fight, what fight are you uh, most excited to see this weekend in Glendale? Yeah, I think, you know, Chandler versus Ferguson. I don't, really see this as a fight where one of these guys gets a title fight or are legitimate title contenders, at least not without going on a bit of a run, but man, what a fun fight that's going to be. Cause those guys just ton of action, both swing for the fences, both really durable as well. And which also makes it a tremendous DFS fight. Like I think every lineup you build should have one of those two guys in it with, you know, most of them being Chandler is the prohibitive favorite, but somebody's going to put up a ton of points in that one. Ferguson doesn't need to put up that many points at his, 6,600 salary, the cheapest on the slate. So that'll be a really interesting one from a DFS standpoint and just from a pure entertainment value because there's going to be a lot of action. Both guys attempt strikes at above the UFC level. Both guys have really solid knockdown rates. So we're going to have some fun with that one. It's funny because just think this time last year, this could have been the championship bout yeah. at UFC 274. It just looks at how, just looks how time has gone by both of them. And you wonder... Well, and Gaethy answered that question for us, right? He beat both of them, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gaethy. But uh, I think I think, uh, I think Chandler also fought both of them, too, because oh, – wait. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think. Yeah, Gaethy has beat both of them within the last, like, year and a half or so. So, you know, that made it pretty clear that he deserves the next title fight with Oliveira already beating Poye, so. But uh, down the card a little bit, you know, I'm nostalgically excited for Donald Cerrone versus Joe Lozon. Cerrone was one of my favorite fighters coming up and when I was first getting into MMA. But a little bit farther down, I really like the prelim fight of Chaos Williams versus Randy Brown. That's another one that seems like somebody's getting knocked out pretty violently. You know, Chaos is a Michigan guy. I've actually fought a bunch of people from the camp that he trains out of here in Lansing. Rashad Evans, former camp, no less, to tie everything together. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Michigan guy. I'm excited to see another violent chaos knockout. I think he's a great DFS play as well because chaos is coming in fairly reasonably salaried here. No, maybe not quite what we'd hope. 8,300. But if you get a knockout out of a guy at 8,300, that's that's big time, especially when we want to play Chandler and we want to play some of the more expensive fighters. Yeah, I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by the Cerrone-Joe Luzon fight because, I mean, uh, it's it's a lot different than the than the fight ap- afterward, but I feel like it's going to be a very different fight because you've got two old you've got two old fighters. I mean, you've got you've got inside and then you've got these guys, and I feel like both of these guys need a win in the Wolves' twelve struggle away because Cerrone is just because Cerrone hasn't won his last six fights, been finished four times. Not looking like the same, same cowboy we we know, and of course Joe Luzon's not not known as a power puncher, so I think it's a f- fight that is very intriguing. 
the question is, which old guy will 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 turn will turn the desert into dessert on Saturday night? Yeah, I he's an underdog, but I actually I think I'm giving the advantage to Lowe's on here just because we've seen Cerrone take some brutal knockouts. He's pushing 40 years old. He's taken a ton of damage throughout his career. He's never been a guy who fights cautiously or defensively. And just once that goes, it's really hard to get that back. And he just doesn't know any other way. He's kind of like the Diaz brothers in that regard where you're not going to teach him to move his head and play cautiously and fight defensively. He's going to come out there. There's going to be a lot of action, but he just doesn't have the chance to support that style anymore. And I don't care who you are. You know, this is, these are big, strong, grown men hitting each other. Lozon can find the power if Cerrone is really that that vulnerable. And we've seen Lozon, you know, it's been two and a half years since he fought, but he did win his last fight by knockout. He's got a couple wins in recent-ish memory where Cerrone has just been all downhill. And I really hope for his sake this is his last fight, win or lose. But, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking Lozon takes this one. I'm, say, I'm saying if Donald Cerrone wins this fight, it's probably knockout. But if Lozon wins, it's probably, I think it's another decision fight. I don't see Lozon knocking out Cerrone unless Cerrone is just basically done. Unless Cerrone- yeah, and that's it's not so much Lozon knocking out Cerrone as Cerrone's chin just entirely failing him. You know, like it's maybe Cerrone knocking out himself from all his all his other fights because. Uh, let me tell you how many fights. Let me see. Cerrone, the, Cerrone will be in his one, two, three, fifty-third MMA bout. Luzon forty-five. So these are a couple old OGs stepping in the octagon. Yeah, we were we were talking on the Action Network betting pod a few weeks back about you know are we looking at years or mileage on these fighters you know as a younger fighter but who's had more fights is he going to have more durability issues? But with these guys, they're both chronologically old and they've both been fighting forever but i think lozon to his credit has taken less bad knockouts and been in less wars relative to cerrone so i think he holds up just a little bit better you know he was always a more grapple heavy fighter he was had more decision losses in there so like that might have him holding up just a little bit better but it's also his first fight in two and a half years which isn't a good sign for a guy in his late 30s either so I don't know. It's not one, honestly, from a DFS standpoint, I'm probably staying away from it. Lozon could definitely make me regret that if he does get the knockout, I'm thinking, but I don't know. I just, I don't have a high degree of confidence in either direction on this one. Could that be, could that be a fight, fight you avoid? If I mean, be honest, I don't think I'm going to pay any attention to that in castings. Maybe if you're in a GPP, if you're in 150, you're playing that, $150, $25 $150, $25 entry, you might have a few of each guy because to me, it's this fight feels like one. You don't want to have much of anything because Lord knows what could happen. Yeah, definitely not one for cash. And honestly, even for GPPs, I'm not going to Cerrone here. Like, we haven't seen him win a fight in a long time. We haven't seen him stop anybody in a long time. Even if he does win, it's probably a somewhat disappointing decision. And he's 8,800. So if he doesn't have one of the biggest scores on the slate, he's hurting your lineup even with the win. Lozon at 74, kind of any win will get you there in terms of him doing enough to pay off his salary. So it's it's Lozon or bust for me in that one for tournaments. And like you said, not cash at all. I mean, it feels weird that Donald Cerrone 
is a minus 175 favorite, and he's 8,800. And Rose, in a five-round tire fight, as a minus 220 favorite, 100 bucks more expensive. Somebody explain that to me. A bigger favorite is only 100. In a five-round fight, it's only 100 bucks more expensive. And that's, you know, you're... You're hitting at something really interesting here that I think people forget about is when DraftKings releases their salary, 99.9% of the time, they don't move. Betting lines do, though. So if you come back on Friday or Saturday and you're listening to this podcast, you say, wait a minute, that's not what the line is now. You're right. That line moved. So one thing you can do is if you see a fighter who opens at minus 150, if they're minus 200 when you're building a lineup, they're going to be a really good value on DraftKings relative to their betting odds at the time or vice versa. So that's a really good thing, especially for cash games to keep in mind that if you can get some of these cheaper fighters where the line has gone their way, you might have some questions like Dylan just said, where you're like, how are you only a hundred dollar more? Well, it's because smart monies came in and told us that this guy is undervalued. This guy or girl, I should say, in the current example. Who is the one guy you would play in cash and in all of your cash and all of your GPP entries this weekend? Ooh, honestly, you know, I haven't gotten too deep into actually building any of the lineups, but if there was going to be anyone that I was locked into outside of the five round fights, because that feels like a cheating answer. I would say chaos Williams, just because he's not too expensive. He's got a decent betting line right now. I'm going to check to see if that moves in his way, but he's got enough upside for tournaments as well, where most of his wins are knockout. That's the way he's going to win most of the time. He also throws a ton of volume, which helps add up points even if he doesn't win. And his opponent doesn't really have the kind of power that he does. And that's uh, Randy Brown for people who don't have the fight in front of him. So if Chaos loses, he probably still scores some points. But he's also got huge upside in terms of a quick knockout and a ton of power. So that's probably my favorite all-around fighter. But with 15 fights on the card, if I'm building multiple lineups, I don't think I'm going to have one guy that's in all of them. Even the title fighters, for that matter. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully, we don't have we don't have guys WD because seemingly for the last few cards, cards. I mean, if you played UFC not this past weekend, but uh, the one yeah two weeks ago, the one a week and a half ago where the guy where the guy at ninety six hundred didn't fight, and the guy at ninety five hundred was disqualified. You know what we're doing. Yeah, that was terrible. And I was I was all about uh, Dean Barry against Mike Jackson. And he gets DQ'd in the first fight. I'm like, I can just turn this off. This was the first card in a long, long time. I didn't watch straight through to the end. I'm like, I just can't do it. This is terrible. I had to, and be, I had to take a break for tilt in that moment. And be honest, I'm thinking, I'm dead. I'm thinking, I'm dead. And, and then one of my other guys was knocked out. I'm like, there's no way I'm catching. Yeah, I just I immediately closed the DraftKings tab, shut my computer, and I was like, no, not tonight. And then I looked up at the, and then I looked up, and I'm like, what? I'm catching. Did Did you end up making it that week? Yeah, I ended up I ended up okay. catching. <laughs> did you have Barry in your lineups or just yes. um? Yes, yes. Romanoff, you managed to make it with Barry. That's impressive. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know who these crazy people were that had Mike Jackson lineups that took down all the tournaments, but they were out there. All right. So, um, I would say another good fight to look at for cash games on the cheaper side is the Melissa Gatto versus Tracy Cortez fight, just from a volume standpoint, because Gatto is a 150 underdog, so not terrible. 
She's only 7,500. This one's almost certain to go to a decision. So when I'm looking at the cheaper fighters for cash games, I want someone who, even if they lose, I'm probably getting 15 minutes out of them just so they can rack up some points. I don't want, you know, a Lozon Cerrone in cash games because either of those guys could be so fragile, they just get knocked out right away. So that's where, you know, targeting the lighter weight classes and the female fighters is actually a pretty solid strategy. And Cortez's last three, uh, last three fights have all gone to the decision. So even if you lose a 70, 80-point loss, might not necessarily kill you if you get 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, if she if Gatto could put up 70 or 80 points in a loss, I'd be thrilled. She might end up in the tournament optimal lineup at that point. I'm just trying to find those spots where, you know, we might lose, but even if we get 30 or 40 instead of five, that can make a big difference. You know, it's not just finding – four or five winners in your lineup. It's finding those points. That's why it's not just betting, you know? Agree. So thanks for hopping on, Billy. We wish you best well, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be breaking in all the chips uh, this weekend. Yeah, you too. I was really glad to find you on Twitter because I think we are the only sickos who are this excited about paying MMA DFS cash, but we exist. <laughs> Agree. Yes. Playing UFC, yeah, playing UFC catch is, is exciting, but a little exhausting figuring out which guy is to fight two years and not use. <laughs>